Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. I'm your host, David Massover, and today we've got a great guest, Jack Wilson, the Director of Franchise Development at Cinch IT. Jack, welcome to the podcast. David, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward Uh, to it. It's a pleasure. We're happy to have you. Now, you are, as I just mentioned, the Director of Franchise Development at Cinch IT. You're a member of the Sales Rebellion, which you know anyone watching this on video can clearly see. You've got the t-shirt, you've got the background. There's just no mystery about that. Your LinkedIn profile is overflowing with, with high-level sales roles. You produce great sales-focused content. So from all of that, what's the single best piece of sales advice that you've ever received? Well, I'll show you the rebellion tattoo first, if you want to see it. <laughs> it depends on to... <laughs> where it is, Jack. We try to keep it rated PG here. So it's funny. The, the best piece of advice that I've ever received, it took me a while to think about it because I don't look at sales advice as something that was one magic bullet that hit me, I got it, and it stuck with me forever. It's really a cumulative impact of a bunch of different pieces of advice and learnings over the years. But if there's one thing that I wanted to pull on that I think I go back to a lot, it's don't be a robot. And you know, it's funny because I heard that advice when I was training to do outbound cold calls on the phone. And really the advice was tailored toward sounding more natural rather than just going from a script. But honestly, if you think about that advice, it means so much more than that. It means bringing your authentic self to work every day. It means understanding that sales is a human to human sport that caring more deeply about your customers, your colleagues, and your community at a whole will make you much more successful than any other piece of sales advice. So kind of the flip side of don't be a robot is, you know, be a human. Be a human, absolutely. And be the best human that you know yourself to be. I love it. I never saw any kind of a scientific survey, but I'm pretty sure that people like to buy from other people as opposed to, you know, whatever options, unless it's a website and you're buying a book. But uh, yeah, when you're, when there's human beings involved, it's nice when they actually behave like human beings. And we're the ones who invent and design the robots anyways. So. Right. <laughs> right. That's why they have so many problems. No, 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 wait, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's the best piece of advice you ever received, what's the worst piece of sales advice you either ever received or heard? Sure. And you know, again, just like the best advice, there's a lot of bad that I've seen that I've had to learn out of. And, you know, I'll apologize to the sales leader that knows he gave me this advice if he listens to this. But one of my managers at my first roles ever, he said, all you got to do to be successful is to work and stay. And originally, I thought that was great because it's like, all right, just do the job and then stick around and don't be quick to leave. But just like the, you know, don't be a robot, when you think deeper about it, I think if you're in a place that doesn't fit you, Don't just stay out of some false sense of loyalty. Your loyalty has got to be with yourself and your values. So make sure wherever you are, you align with that company. But then work, that's a loaded term nowadays. So to be successful, it doesn't just mean you have to burn the candle at both ends. It means you have to work smart. It has to, you have to up-level your skills. And so work and stay, like it's got to be way more nuanced than that. And you've got to understand what type and style of work you want to do and how much of it. And if it's worth sticking around for because the company believes in what you believe. 
That's really interesting because I think, you know, you know, when I think about what makes a salesperson potentially successful, I think that the salespeople that I've seen that have been most successful have a, have a desire to succeed, a desire to work at what it takes to succeed, to commit to trying things differently to help them succeed. So if you've got that baked into your DNA, work means something different than if you're a salesperson who's just going to kind of show up and read their script and be a robot. You could call them both work. But the difference between those two approaches, I think, is actually where you're really going to have an impact. And if you love what you do every day, it's never work. You know, that's another aspect of it. So as sales professionals, we get so obsessed with the outcome, the sale, the revenue, the quota, the goal. But psychologically, if you look at it, there's actually a huge letdown. When you have this huge goal for yourself and you achieve it, you're like, well, that's it. That was kind of anticlimactic. It's the journey. It's the path and the process that we actually should enjoy. And if you do enjoy that, if you have a passion for it, doing it the right way and improving it, your results are going to far exceed what you ever expected them to be in the first place anyways. So now, of course, Deep Purple's Thrill of the Chase is riffing through my mind, right? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. So for the record, Jack and I had a conversation before we recorded this podcast and we completely geeked out on subjects like growth and economics and process. So, so just be forewarned, we're going to geek out a little bit here. That's my prediction. And if you're into that, I think you're really going to love a lot of the insights that Jack can bring to a conversation like that. But specifically the last time we talked, you told me about something that sounds pretty counterintuitive, which is this idea of the fallacy of growth. Can you explain a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah. I mean, tinfoil hats on everybody. So when you go to school and you learn about economics, right? Macro, micro, whatever it is, they teach you, they program that natural markets all tend toward equilibrium. But then the second you get that diploma, you throw the hat and you go out in the real world, everyone says growth, 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 10X, 5X, 3X, we've got to live in surplus. And to me, when you really look at that, if the, if the market's natural tendency, whatever industry you're in, is toward equilibrium and you're performing in an area of surplus, then the natural forces are actually pulling down on you. So whether it's a company or an individual, you have the tendency to put in that work, put in the effort to overachieve, only then to kind of come crashing back down to earth afterwards. So for me, it's instead of going for that surplus, growth doesn't necessarily mean growth in excess of some sort of equilibrium, it means the real definition of scale. So scale isn't growing exponentially while the rest of it falls apart behind you. It's actually lifting the level of equilibrium. It's raising your floor. So for me, it's all about, like I said before, instead of burning the candle at both ends, how do you do exactly enough work to grow exactly the right way? That way you can maintain that for the long term instead of just being a flash in the pan and succeeding once. So I kind of get this image in my mind of building something very tall and instead of racing to the top, you're going to the top slowly and deliberately and solidifying the foundation as you go higher and higher so that as you get to the top, it's not set to crumble below you. Is that kind of a good visual reference for the kind of a concept you're talking about? I'm such a visual person. So that (laughs) stuff totally resonates with me. You know, it's funny. Like if you drive down the highway every once in a while, you ever seen those giant radio antennas that Mm -hmm. it's very thin and it's very tall. And because of it, there's like all these support cables all around it. And you wonder, 
how exactly does that thing stand up to like the forces of nature? That's kind of hyper growth and surplus versus if you look at like a pyramid structure, you've got the foundation, this wide base that by the way, millennia from now, that radio tower, not going to be around. But if you go back down through Central and South America, you see the evidence of those solid-based monolithic structures everywhere. So to take your analogy and just go way off the deep end, uh, <laughs> I think you've got to build those types of foundations and structures for yourself to sustain growth and honestly to create a legend and a legacy for yourself, for your company, for whatever it is that you're trying to do. So Cinch IT is a franchise model. How does this concept embody itself in the work that you guys are doing every day, every week, every quarter to, you know, because every company wants to grow. Yeah, ah, we, we have a guest appearance from your dog. Awesome. Oh, yeah. That's part of my foundation. By all right. Way. Hey, so we're in the era lie. of COVID. These things happen, right? <laughs> we're all working from home. Yeah. Well, so with Cinch IT, it's funny. When you think of a franchise, it's almost like when people say the word salesperson you get this like icky kind of like feeling about it. Franchising has sort of a similar connotation. And the reason is because those businesses are set up to just sell somebody a business, give them the book on, here's how to do it. Good luck. And if that person fails, oftentimes the franchisor, they don't really care because they're going to resell that license. They're going to repeat the model and they're going to grow. We're not that. And at Cinch IT, we flipped it on its head because what we've created is a synergistic model where we provide a ton of services for sales professionals that want to own a business. So they go out, they grow their book of business, they earn new customers, and then we do 90 plus percent of the work for them, but we get paid for those services. So naturally, we don't succeed unless they succeed. So we're incentivized to get them successful as fast as they can, to help them maintain that success. And then by the way, we care about customer service. Every industry and company says they do, but you could talk the talk till you're blue in the face. How do you walk the walk? For us, it's understanding who's going to have more skin in the game. A sales rep that you hire and you pay a commission one time or somebody who very literally has skin in the game because they own the relationship with their customer and that very literally puts food on their table. So we've positioned our company in a way that the goals of our franchisees and the goals of our customers, as well as the goal of us as an entity, are all in line with one. To me, that's the right formula for success. What specifically are you doing with your franchisees to help make them successful? What, what are some examples of, of what you might call sales enablement within this model that you're helping them with to make sure they succeed? It's really juxtaposing training with sales. So I, I heard a great quote, and I, I feel bad that I don't know who said it, but training gets you certifications and coaching gets you results. So instead of just throwing them through a training program, which we do, we have a extremely comprehensive 12-week training program. It's after that. It's coaching them one-to-one. So in a sense, my role is actually to be a sales manager, except it just so happens to be for sales professionals that don't work for me, which if you ask me, I think that's the most challenging and the most rewarding way to be a leader because I can't manage by fiat. I can't manage by title. I have to manage by understanding what drives all of them as individuals and pushing them to achieve their goals, understanding how they learn, understanding their individual strengths, weaknesses, and really custom tailoring that to each and every one of them. So that to me is, is the most fulfilling part of what I do. If you're not really adding value for them in this capacity, why should they bother listening to you? 
and they don't have to. So what it takes is, is buy-in and, you know, and how do you really get buy-in from somebody besides showing that you're in the same fight with them, you're in the trenches next to them, but also giving them some positive reinforcement. You could tell somebody what to do. You could show them what to do, but if you allow them to walk down that path, you continue to provide them with resources to test it out. You give them enough leash and time to try those things and to iterate. Eventually, when they see success, they realize, well, wait a minute, that's not because he told me what to do when I listened. That's because I took it upon myself to develop, to execute, to iterate. And wow, look at the success I can create for myself. That's a snowball effect of motivation and confidence that's just going to lead to them being successful for a long time. Now, as my listeners know, I tend to take a process-oriented approach to sales. That doesn't mean that it's the only thing, but that's just kind of the perspective that I usually start with just because of how I grew up as a salesperson, you might say. And, And I know that process is also important to you because of some earlier conversations that we had, but can you help me understand where the whole idea of sales process fits into your vision and your execution for, for sustainable growth? Absolutely. And it actually stems quite a bit from my experience in sales. So I've had the opportunity to talk quite a bit about process that I call minimum viable habits. And what that really is, is understanding that sort of like I said before, burning the candle at both ends eventually has diminishing returns. So what I did very early on in my career was reverse engineer all the math and say, what are the deals I'm getting? What are the sources that they're coming from? But more importantly, what are the actionable sales activities or behaviors that I can execute on on a very regular basis to get there? Now, that's only half the battle because to me, sales is activity plus effectiveness equals results. So there's a couple levers that you can pull on Now, early on, if your effectiveness isn't that great, that's okay. You need the at-bats. You can put the right activities in the right amount and then start to generate pipeline as you work on improving your effectiveness. So I've taken that mentality and brought it with me to Cinch IT, where instead of our franchisees and our sales reps making 100 dials a day and never calling somebody ever again, I always tell them, if you plan on doing something once, you might as well not do it at all. Because we know historically in sales, it takes between eight and 12 contacts to actually get an opportunity to speak with somebody. And that number is going up because noise with technology and marketing efforts is, is going up as well. But if instead of taking 100 dials, let's call 40 people, but let's call them till they're called. Let's actually connect with them and qualify them all. And let's make sure we're actually reaching out to people that are highly targeted, that are our ideal clients, that we're giving ourselves the best percentage chance that we're going to get in touch with them. Now, that's all the math. Then on the other side of that is how can we be creative? How can we be humans? How can we not be robots and connect with them in a way that's going to give them an experience? Everyone hates salespeople, but it's because they're used to the same old rigmarole. So how can we interrupt their day, not in a negative sense? How can we interrupt their day positively to get their attention, to fulfill them, and to actually make sure that they want to be a part of this process with us? Not just for the, the outcome and the results in our service but because they genuinely want to experience it with us as an individual and we get along and we create relationships. Now, that's fantastic. I I think that one of the problems that we tend to see a lot in sales organizations is that concepts like metrics and concepts like process are kind of seen as the end. I have my KPIs, I have my process. I think a much more productive 
way of thinking about both of those concepts and specifically process that you just mentioned is exactly how you described. Let's figure out what our process is based on what we need to do, use that as a starting point, and then really dig into the little pieces and think about how we can do each one better and what the different layers of depths are and how we can be more effective, how we can connect them together more effectively. It sounds like that's the kind of an approach you're taking to use process as a tool towards sustainable growth. And also, I think, too, people, people look at process, they think it's like opposite sides of the coin. You're either process-driven or you're creative. And that's not the case. You have to have a process to identify the specific activities you can add your creativeness to. And the better the process you have, the more well-defined it is, you can plan it and you can start to execute it, oh, you know, maybe even in an automated fashion. But the more you can set the process on autopilot, the time that you used to take and the effort and the mental capacity that you used to take toward remembering what to do, when to do it, you now get to shift and use that mental capacity to working on that effectiveness lever. How can I do that part of my process more effectively? How can I do it more creatively? How can I, how can I just do it to where I enjoy it better? And it's more fun. And it's something that I want to do long-term. So for me, process and organization is actually what clears up what I call the white space. I, I talked about it with my calendar before this uh, started, but everything that you can control, control. That way you have some white space left over and that's where you get to play. That's where you get to have fun really get creative. Yeah. I think if you look at a lot of professions or roles or hobbies that we normally think of as creative dancers, artists, musicians, there's process in there. And rest, by the way, that's another key thing that, again, not to harp on the whole working too hard and burning the candle at both ends. I love sports analogies. I had a great conversation with Francois Bordeaux about this and athletes practice like specifically, like think about football, you practice six days a week, and you play once. In sales and business alike, you play every day. And unfortunately, we practice on our prospects, we practice on our customers. So how can we take that organizational structure to say, hey, wait a minute, let me actually practice and then let me rest. Let me get some time away to recover from all of that activity and that effort so that I can recharge and bring myself in my fullest, back to the work and focus on it more effectively. And when you come back, you're going to be much more effective because you're not burned out. You're right. And like all those things like sleep, diet, rest, you know, we think about those, oh, that's, that's the life side of the work-life equation. But just because they might be on different parts of the equation or the different variables, it doesn't mean they don't impact each other directly. You know, so all of that is extremely important. All right. I'm changing my lunch plans today. Thank you very much. <laughs> you said you were drinking gin already. Is that well? You know, let's not, not let public. Let, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. So you and I are both cranking out a lot of content on LinkedIn, and you mentioned something to me when we spoke earlier that that I see and that I think about a lot, which is that you know so much of the content that we tend to see there is focused on what a salesperson should say or what a salesperson should do. Can you share some of your thoughts about? why you think that kind of content is A, so popular and, and B, potentially limiting. Yeah. So it's so popular because of that fallacy of growth. Because today, when you start a sales career, you're an SDR and that's a turn and burn type of role. You know, the average tenure of that role is, is going down and not just because of a recession, but because of the pressure put on them to hit certain goals. 
So because of that pressure, what these individuals want is, hey, I don't care why I'm doing it. Just give me a script. Just give me what works and I'll go use those things. So the more they can take in that content and immediately turn around and just do that, they perceive that as a way to, to shortening the road between them and success. The problem with that, and one of those limiting things is everybody has access to this content. So if everyone's using these, these tactics and these techniques, the next thing you know, you were ahead of the curve, but now you're just the same as everybody else. So now you're actually falling into that same cycle. But for me in sales, like you alluded to earlier, there's no scientific study behind it, even though I think there is. People buy from people that they know, like, and trust. And know, like, and trust comes from a place of intent. And intent comes from a place of having the right mindset. It's understanding your purpose and why you're doing what you're doing every day. It's putting others first before yourself. Because no matter the words you say out loud, no matter the things that you type in an email, what your prospect hears and feels is your intent. We as humans have a great BS radar. We can sniff that stuff out. You know, some people call it commission breath, BS radar, but your customer, your prospect, they sniff that out in a hurry. So for me, it's understanding who you are as an individual and why you're doing what you're doing every day, why you're reaching out to these prospects and customers. Because if the answer is to get paid to move your career along, why should they care? If you're not doing something that ultimately has your customer at the heart, stop. Stop doing it right now. Because sure, you might win once or twice. You might have a great year. But then a couple of years down the road, you worked and stayed and you're wondering, what the hell am I doing here? What is it all for? So good for you. You got a commission check, but you still got to work on what's inside. So do that work now. Set yourself up to be successful individually on a much longer term basis. And by the way, that kind of stuff leads to way better results than any kind of tactic or technique or silver bullet that some, somebody can post on LinkedIn. So one of the questions that I was going to ask you, we're, we're kind of running up on the end of our time here today. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, what's the one thing you wish you had known when you began your career? And I think you just answered that. Yeah, I think to sum it all up, it's really to know that your place and your impact on a much greater world is something that you have control over. You know, for so many years, I literally on a map, through my circle of influence. This is like my territory. This is the market. And I've always sold in the same place. I owned a business in the same place. I lived in the same general area. And it wasn't until I started to zoom out and understand that, yeah, sure, even though I'm impacting these kind of like economies of scale, my impact can be way bigger than that. And it's got nothing to do with how much money I make, what title or role that I have. It has to do with my intent how I deliver those things and the impact it has on other people within just cascades down through. So yeah, I think understanding your purpose and why you're doing things, if you can focus on that early on in your career, it will change a lot of things for you and it'll help avoid a lot of pitfalls too. It's fantastic advice, Jack. Thank you for sharing that. This has been a really, really great podcast. I'm really grateful that you shared some of your time and your wisdom with us. If people want to learn more about you and, and read more about what you're writing and, and tap into some of your thoughts, where's the best place for our, our listeners to connect with you? LinkedIn is the best way. I'm in slash Jack D. Wilson. If you reach out to me, don't you dare connect and pitch. But if you ask me what the D stands for in my middle name, we'll get a great little icebreaker to start a conversation. Or you know, if you're looking for 
you know, whether it's to get into the franchise game as a sales professional, or you need some coaching, reach out to me at jack at the sales rebellion.com. And I'm happy to help you out. And I try to get back to everybody within at least 24 hours. That's fantastic. I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And uh, once again, thank you for spending your time with us, Jack. We really appreciate it. Thank you for asking great questions, man. That's what it's all about. It's bringing these types of conversations to light. So I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jack. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.